Welcome everyone to this week's edition of the Bombercast of 2023. This is your regular co-host, The Grizz, uh, after the win against North Melbourne, which is technically a win, but not sure how much it counts. And I'm here with my regular co-host, Bonta34. Bont, uh, a heart stopper that didn't necessarily have to be. It didn't. And and to be honest, it made all our predictions at the end of last episode look a bit silly because I think most of us went for a pretty solid victory. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a little bit tougher, I think, than anybody could have predicted. And and the reality was, I don't I think I said it on the board during the game. It was more about the fact that I thought that we came to play bruise free football and North Melbourne turned up and, and we just didn't respect them enough, basically. I, that was how I saw it. I, I thought we, you know. I mean, we, we did say last week that they would smash us at the, in the clearances most likely because of, because they did last year and you know, their midfield is that little bit beefier in there. But having said that, you know, they, they weren't just beating us at the coalface this time. They have sort of beaten us all over the ground. And, yeah, as I said, it was it was pretty disappointing to see us turn up and play sort of that millionaire bruise-free football and, and, just, and just show no respect to a side that, that had clearly got themselves up for this game. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one because... 24 to 48 hours since the game, I'm sort of coming down off the frustration of watching it and um, the context of what was a very inexperienced midfield by both teams with a couple of senior sort of players in each of them and what was a very young team for our team, a young squad for our sort of team this week. You could sort of understand how this happened, but I agree. It just, I think we got to four goals up at, you know, basically quarter time at 20 point margin, I think at one point. And we just sort of thought we would skate through. And I think North kicked seven of the next eight goals or something to basically go up by two goals, three goals, halfway through the third quarter. But we'll we'll, we'll get to that nitty-gritty in a moment. Uh, the thing that I, I thought was stark at the game was, and to follow on from what you were saying, it was the contested ball generally. So it seemed to be, and I posted this in the game day thread, that when the ball was on the ground or in dispute, North Melbourne were consistently the first team or the team there in number and intensity. But when we could control the ball through uncontested marks, they really couldn't get it off us. And it was just about who had control for more period of time throughout the game. Yeah, and you know, four of the top five clearance players on the ground were North Melbourne players. So, cool. you know, Will Phillips, George Wardlaw, Todd Goldstein, Harry Sheasel. So, you know, and Zach Merritt was obviously ours in there. We then we then do have a, a number of players that also got some clearances after that. But you you look at it and go, yeah, it, we we knew we knew where our weakness was. Grizz, we we called out our weakness going into the game. It just seems like maybe the players didn't realize it. And I, I will just quickly touch on what you said about a young. Because you said we were young side as well, and we actually were. I think people sort of lose track of that a little bit because, um, I mean, there has been a few times this year on the board where a few of us have sort of had to step in and go, look, you keep saying we're not playing the kids, but we are. We're, 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 yeah. we're, we're, we are still playing a young side. It's just, there's, you know, we, we can't play kids in every single position. Um, and, and as a result, we actually were only 30 days, I think, average per player older than North. But we actually had less experience. Um, 10 games, less, games. Per, yeah, 10 games yeah. less per player in terms of experience. So, which is half a season, which is yeah. like, that's yeah. a significant amount of like when you think about what North Melbourne were at the start of the season to what they are now, that's you know, yeah. that's a significant and, amount. And you look at it like blokes like, you know, Jai Caldwell and, and Nick Martin and, mm. and and um you know, even Will Snelling, you, these guys I suppose you, you don't call they're not the eighteen, nineteen year olds that, that North had running around, but they still don't have 
you know, the experience you'd expect of a player of their age because they were late into the system or they've been injured. So, yeah, we, I think sometimes we do get lost in the fact that we're a little bit younger and and, and it clearly just, I think, showed our inexperience like, on um, Sunday afternoon where they just jumped us and we, we struggled to, to stem the tide. But then, you know, obviously Zach Merritt just did his thing and stepped up and yeah, and I sort of wheeled us to the line yeah, along no, with Nick Martin. It's interesting because, like, when you look at the games experiencing, like Will Phillips and now Archie Perkins are in the same draft, yet pa- Perkins has played 50-odd games. Phillips, I think, is under 15. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they're the same age. Essendon's played more games, but it's because we've been forced to play them. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. And, yeah, Ben Mackay and um, Andrew McGrath, same thing, um, same draft. Pidge's played about double the amount of games. So even though the ages, you know, our ages, the ages sort of similar for a lot of players, the games is different. But we'll, we'll talk about, I think, the midfield and then we'll sort of move on. to. So you, you touched on the clearances that we all thought North might be able to get us in. They lost two pretty experienced midfielders basically by halftime. Jai Simkin, who you could argue was their best player up to this point in the season, gone at quarter time. Hugh Greenwood at halftime. We, at one point, I think were winning the clearances like nine to one. And then my frustration was you could see that North Melbourne were basically playing a defensive triangle in the in center bounce and in the clearances and we were giving them an extra at the clearance around the ground to get the to sort of free up jordan ridley as an interceptor which worked but we just didn't try anything to sort of counter this defensive triangle they had to center bounce or i just you know part of me wishes we didn't that we sent a forward up to even it up around the contest and give them the spare behind the ball because Jack Zebel and Aaron Hall were turnover merchants. If we give them possession at the back half, we're able to to stop them pretty easily. So I just feel like young team they'll learn from this. Just the inability to pivot in game and recognise how North will get it on top, which isn't a contested ball, and even up those numbers was driving me nuts. Yeah, they kept it pretty simple North um, to their credit, and and you know. The old triangle, you know, basketball fans everywhere will love the old the old triangle <laughs> analogy you've gone with there. But they actually said on the on the um, coverage, the commentators were talking at one stage in the coverage, and they, and they said that you know North had sent a player up, and we were dropping a player off, and then they said, oh, Essendon sent someone to the contest, but North sent their defender up, so they were determined, determined to keep that extra yeah. number, regard no matter what it was. So you know. But having said that, you're right. You know, you send one bloke up, they send one bloke up. We'll send another one. I mean, you know, at, at some point they're going to stop sending numbers up, and you, uh, you know, you, you don't want to go. You don't want to go crazy and have your whole forward line sitting around the ball. But yeah, not trying anything was a little bit frustrating, and and I, I still stand by my. You know, we we played like millionaires because the fact that we didn't even try and man up that triangle sort of very simple setup. We still kept trying to play our way. Even yeah. though we were clearly getting beaten, I thought it was yeah pretty frustrating. But having said that, Joe Caldwell, I thought had another great game for us in the midfield, mm. and he's really stepped up in Parrish's ab- absence. I still don't think you get rid of Parrish just because Caldwell's going all right. But you know, it, it does sort of. I don't want to say lend weight because people jump on me, but it does. It does sort of maybe suggest the theory that letting Parrish go to to fill a hole that we've got somewhere else is not the worst idea in the world. But having said that, you know, two games. So he's only really done it for two or three games. Um, yeah. So we need a bigger sample size, don't we? Yeah, I think so. But I I agree that Caldwell sort of played himself into more midfield minutes. I don't think Parrish is the one you move out of there. I think Shields the one that probably you move out. 
I think Shields probably showing an ability to play wing. He he had a couple of weeks at half forward against Geelong and uh, not Geelong against St Kilda and GWS where he had twenty and kicked two goals in those two games. So I feel like he's the guy you move out if you want Caldwell to get more midfield minutes because he does give a more defensive aspect than probably either of those guys do. But I think anyone that's like, oh yeah, we should get rid of Parrish should just watch the weekend and how absolutely trounced in the contested ball we got. And just shut up. Like, <laughs> like you don't reckon we could have used Parrish's ability to hoover up contested ball around yeah, the ground absolutely. on Sunday. Like, it would have... We were missing someone like Darcy that just knew we had to hunt the ball at ground level. Because once they took Zach out of the contest, which they did, he had 16 disposals a quarter time, 18 after that. Um, we just didn't have a counter. But we'll, we'll go to one more negative, and then I want to talk about some positives because there were definitely some positives. We did actually win. Like We're talking about like, like we lost by five goals, but we did, you know, <laughs> we won the game. But let's get one final negative out of the way, and then we'll sort of focus on some positives. Sam Wiedemann, it was bad on the weekend. So he he played a full game, had four disposals. I think he had one mark for the game, which or, or two marks for the game, which for your key forward was really poor. I know you'll want to talk about goal kicking, so I'll leave that to you. But my problem was that he looked completely devoid of confidence. He looked like he was too scared to jump for the ball because he had no confidence if he could mark it. If he did mark it, he didn't want to kick it. And towards the end, he was basically just trying to joe the goose in the back out the back and Ben Mackay was just hoovering anything we kicked long down the line which was probably another negative but he had 12 weeks with Peter Wright out to sort of cement a place in the spot and I I genuinely wonder if Jones and Wright were fit whether he plays oh look oh it's tough because you know and and the goal kicking I mean he missed he missed that pretty easy one and and I and I've banged on it the last couple of weeks that his form in front of the sticks hasn't been great and, and I sort of made the I sort of made the, uh, the 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 point in the in the game day thread, and I think I think you got a bit narky at me about it. It was just I was just trying to point out, you know, I sort of raised it during the week that his goal kicking recently hadn't been great, and he really did need to have some practice. And everyone sort of went, "Oh yeah," but you know, two years ago he, he kicked straight as a die, and and therefore he's he's a great kick. I was like, I'm not saying he's not a great kick, but everyone has their down moments, and unfortunately, the he's, he's Poor form in the front of the sticks has, as you said, translated to the game because he just looked completely devoid of confidence. I probably, I, I don't think you drop him though. That's yeah. so. The thing is, I, I still think even though he had, even though he hadn't been kicking goals, I thought, still thought he'd been doing all right because he still got his hands to the pill the last few weeks before the North game. Obviously, he was still taking marks. He was still doing stuff around the ground. So I, I actually, yeah, I, I was disappointed. But I'm probably not in the camp that that has him dropped just yet. But I can certainly see why he would because it was pretty average. It's it's funny with Mackay though because he took those he took ten marks right so he. he Took a lot of marks. He did a lot of stuff, but only had he only had 112 meters gained from his mm-hmm. 18 disposals. And 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 so you, I, I see 112 from 18 disposals and go, geez, he must have handballed a lot. But he didn't. He was 11 handballs, seven kick. Uh, sorry, 11 kicks, seven hand, uh, seven handballs. So he yeah. still kicked the ball more than handballed. He must have been kicking it backwards, and and that was something that sort of annoyed me a little bit because and it comes back to this this millionaires strategy that I was saying that we were playing like they had a lot of easy outlet kicks sideways very very 45 degree angle out to the boundary line we were very concerned about watching the corridor in our defensive area and so they sort of just moved themselves up the wings and when we i don't think we respected the fact that they were they were moving the ball we, we were like yep we're covering the middle they're not running through the middle like we don't want them to this is really good 
but we were sort of losing track of the site that they were actually moving it up the ground. But yeah, as you said, it's probably time for enough negatives and move to a positive. And I will throw one to you, one that I was pretty happy with how he bounced back. And that's Nick Hind. I actually thought he was really good on on the weekend coming out of defence. Um, not sure how you saw it, but you know he he had his twenty one touches. He had his four hundred eighty five meters gained, and he, he just ran again. He just looked a bit different to the Nick Hind of the previous week. So I, I wouldn't say he was the same player that we saw when we first brought him across back from St Kilda. But I thought he he bounced back from a pretty average couple of weeks rather nicely on the weekend. Yeah, I think Eddie had or Marvel, whatever it is now, suits him. It's a fast track. Um, That's a great call. Yeah, yeah. Great call. Um, so he likes to drive fast track. He can get out and run. I think I don't. There's this. Yeah, uh, there's this vibe going around that I don't like Nick Hind. I think Nick Hind's fine, but I think he's limited as a player. The thing about Nick no, was he, he absolutely is. Yeah, absolutely is. Yeah, yeah and. Um, I think he, he didn't make any mistakes this week. Like he didn't like generally he's up for one a good one or two good clangers, but he didn't have yep. any this week. And that's yep. a positive. And he was very solid defensively, I think. Um he played the percentage as well. And I think that's when he plays his best footy was when when he's forced to defend, when he plays the percentages, he actually looks very solid. You know, he was probably out of him and McGrath, probably the best halfback flanker we had this week. <laughs> But uh, that's probably just more a, a small sample size than a larger one. But, yeah, he was fine. And I think as a whole, our defensive unit did really well. Like the amount of ball that was going in there because we were losing the clearances so diabolically after quarter time. Jordan Ridley, my boy, you know, pick 19 in the my boy draft. I can't believe he fell that far. Uh, absolutely unbelievable. When I think he had eight intercept marks or something stupid. And I think Kip's prediction was he had to have break the record with 11. He wasn't that far off. <laughs> so no. uh, Jordan was exceptional. I think um, Zerk had a rough day, but as a collective, they were pretty good. And I, I yeah. think. I, I'm sorry. I was going to jump. I actually thought Zerk wasn't too bad with Larky. I, I mean, I know he, I know Larky kicked two, three, and, and could, probably could have had a bigger day. But Larky's a pretty good set shot. So you know, some of the ones he was missing, they weren't easy shots. So I, yeah, it, it's it's hard for Zerk because he's going to get the the key forward, and if the key forward kicks three or four, or even if they get limited chances, it's it's always going to look bad for him, isn't it? Yeah, and and it, when you're the last guy on defense, when you're the last <laughs> line of defense, which he often is, when when you when you stuff up, it looks horrific because it generally results in a score. So, like, if someone, yeah, absolutely. Further, someone further up makes a mistake, you know, Redmond makes a mistake 70 metres out from goal, the ball goes inside and Ridley mops it up. We don't think about Redmond's mistake, for example. But oh, I think we should talk about Zach Merritt because we haven't to this point, and I don't know how you can have 34, have 16 disposals, five tackles and two goals in the first quarter and not be the first thing we talk about. So we apologise to Zach. Captain's knock. Like that first quarter was the best football I think I, I can recall him seeing. Had six tackles as well, which I think led the team or, or co-led the team, um, which was yeah, which was exceptional. Um, just you can tell he and Brad Scott are kindred spirits in that, you know, it's do as I do. And because he has such a high intensity, he can demand more from his teammates and it's rubbing off, and I, I just thought he was easily, easily the best player on the field, but um, just a, a, an excellent game all in all. Yeah, and then clearly any doubts about him being captain uh, should be well and truly gone by now. There yeah. was a bit, bit of, bit of a, oh, is he the right guy? But he clearly does lead, for example. The other thing I really love about, about Zach's leadership is, um, and, and just watch any game from this year, you'll see it. If someone makes a mistake that leads to a goal or, or leads to a shot or something, the first bloke over to pat him on the head and, and lift him back up is always Zach. Yep. Like he always makes he always makes a point. 
if you really want an example, I suppose, to look at the Richmond game where Caldwell did that left foot kick under pressure, Zach actually ran from about 35 metres away to pat him on the head and tell him it was okay. So, you know, that sort of stuff. And he did it again on Sunday. So, yeah, it, it was really good to see. The tackles, as you said, he led up there with with Jake Stringer, who's, who was another, I thought, pretty pretty decent yeah. game um, from Jake. I think we've we've talked previously that he's, he's no longer needs to be the man. He's happy to play that support role. And and you saw that absolutely with the the goal from that one is the game from D'Ambrosio when, you know, Jake put in oh, two or three defensive efforts. You know, years gone by, he might have given up after one, but he just kept busting his ass and got the turnover. And then Andrew Phillips with the handball goal assist to, to D'Ambrosio for the, but, for the sneaky win. He's an assist machine. He had that um, shank off the side of his foot that goes to Martin for his second goal, handball to D'Ambrosio. Like, just, oh, I don't know what we've been doing all year. Just go through Phillips. Phillips has to touch it. But um, I, I think we just before we wrap up on, on this game, I think, you know, when you the, everyone was talking about Wardlaw and Sheasel and Phillips, who all had really good games, I just wanted to shout out um, sort of our younger guys. So Ben Hobbs had 21 and five tackles. Nick Martin, 21, two goals. Perkins, 19 and two goals. Like we, the younger guys that we have as well, I think, you know, Perkins' goal to send the tide in that third quarter, I think North had kicked three or four straight and he just nails that set shot from about 55 out. That was clutch as it gets. And I just think, you know, Ben Hobbs went toe-to-toe with Wardlaw at different points and, you know, probably... Woodlaw got the chocolates overall, but Hobbsy definitely had his moments, laid a couple of great tackles, and, and Nick Martin's the best winger in the competition. So I, I, the other, I think, positive we can take out of it is that in that third and fourth quarter when we needed something, Dan Barroso kicked the goal. The younger guys stood up, which was great to see. Yeah, look, I actually didn't think Wardlaw played as well as the commentators raving. I thought he did a couple of nice things, but I think he got they got sold into his side set. I just quickly want to touch on Archie Perkins because there was a bit of a debate in the board during the week, as you saw, and um, Beerfish actually raised it with us as well yep. about the fact that you know people are, people are talking about Perkins and whether he's developed. And honestly, our board sometimes not our board, Essendon supporters they just find something to be negative about. I mean, really, the the kid has. As I think I posted in the, in his thread, he's had more disposals, he's had more tackles, he's had more goals year on year. To say that you know he's not coming on like we hoped or that he's he's stagnating, can we just be serious for a second? Like the kids, he's a kid still. This 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 reminds me of two two or three years ago when we had Darcy Parrish who was averaging twenty one touches as a as a twenty one year old on a half forward flank, and people were saying, well, he just we just don't know if we've seen enough from him yet. We just don't. I mean, nobody thought he was going to turn into this forty possession midfield machine. But 21 touches at 21 years old, it was clear he had talent. It's the same thing with Archie. He's clearly got talent. He's clearly not playing the midfield minutes that's going to get him the 40 touches. So can we just ease the fuck off a little bit and let the kid actually just keep playing football and enjoying it? Because if we're negative about him all the time or we're negative about these kids all the time, it does get back to them eventually. Like... Uh, you start seeing stupid shit like Bronx cheers, you know, when Brent Stanton used to play. And, and it, it's yeah. just, it, it does my head, you know, and I... And I I, I see it more obviously with Essendon because I'm an Essendon supporter, but I just don't know if any other clubs eat their, eat their young like we do. We just seem to yeah. rip them apart if they don't come in and do a Sam Walsh and dominate the league from day one. And it, it, it's just madness. Yeah, I, I think all clubs have it. I think Essendon's historically have made it more vocal. I think I know some very passionate Richmond supporters that you know, were, <laughs> yeah. that, that were trading Jack Revolt back in 2014. I know I should know Richmond supporter that wanted to trade him back in 2009, which was only two and a half years after he was drafted. The thing, just touching on Archie. So 
I think I want to touch on this next week in the bipod in depth in terms of about development of young guys and and sort of marking the putting a, a bookmark in the year and looking back. But all you can really ask for your young guys is, are you improving every year? And you touched on the fact he's averaging more touches, tackles, goals, disposals, all marks, basically everything per game. I can think of more games this year already where Archie had an indelible effect on the game than I can in previous seasons. So you think about that Hawthorne game to start year, kick three, had 15, a couple of massive goals on Anzac Day, played well in the, the Melbourne game and the Geelong game as well. I can think of more impactful moments Archie, from Archie this year than I can think of in other games. And the other the other thing I just encourage her to look at is go look at his draft class. Like he would, he would, I would comfortably put him in one of the three best performed players in his draft class so far. So it's like, it's him. You, you won't argue Jamari, you Hagen, but others would. Um, <laughs> uh, so Braden Campbell from Sydney, but like, then you're really scraping at the bottom of the barrel to try to find guys who have been more impactful since that, in that draft. And the third year isn't when you see the jump. The jump is historically fourth and fifth year. So if he's continually making improvements year on year on year, I want to see, can he go from being, you know, 18 and one goal this year to being 23 and a goal and a half next year and making that extra leap. But at the moment, he's, he's tracking fine. He's the least of all our problems. Exactly right. Uh, well, that might do us for the North Melbourne Essendon wrap. We did win. We're seven and five. We're sixth on the ladder. Um, North Melbourne thinks, you know, we're we're uh, pretenders and all the rest of it. But you know, they can enjoy their fourth straight bottom four finish. And we'll just take a quick break, and we'll come back with uh, a very well known Carlton poster to preview this week's game. And welcome back, everyone, to this week's version of the Bombercast. Now, uh, we're going to move ahead to the discussion of this week's big game, King's Birthday Eve, the traditional blockbuster, as we all know it, of course, against Carlton. But instead of our normal preview, we've actually got a guest in here. It's the Carlton moderator, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, how are you, mate? Hey, Grizz, going well. Thank you. That's good. Now, uh, uh, we wanted to bring you on just so there's a bit of a Carlton flavour to this. We like to have opposition um, posters on every now and then just to um, set the tone for for matches that are important. And and this one is, and I think there's an element of that just based on how your season's going. I I suppose the the question I want to ask you first is, uh, how would you summarise Carlton's season to this point? It's an interesting one. Started somewhat positively. In terms of the results, a couple of wins early, as well as the draw, of course, uh, in the opening game of the season. But then it's really sort of all burst. And uh, I mean, everyone can sort of see that we're in a quite a rut at the moment, just not playing very well at all. And that's reflecting, obviously, in the game style, but also the results. So uh, not a very pleasant last couple of weeks as a Carlton supporter, that's for sure. It's interesting because I feel like you guys aren't playing that badly um the results haven't gone your way you've played some tough teams as well but uh, it just it it seems like 
there's been a, a shift in game plan from you know, your contested bash and crash style last year to more this sort of dour defensive game, which is generally always the second year of a new coach. It's attack first and then defense second. How have you sort of seen struggles on field and manifest? So what, what's going wrong at the moment for Carlton on field? And we can talk about off field and later if you need, but on field, what, what, what do you, what what do you see as the issue? Because uh, we're coming to this season, that Carlton midfield that just absolutely destroyed teams last year in terms of contested ball number and clearances just hasn't seemed to click into gear yet. It hasn't. But actually, the, the numbers in the midfield over the last couple of weeks in particular have actually been okay. Yep. You look at contested possessions and you look at sort of clearances. Last week against Melbourne, we were smashed in the contested possessions. But other than that, it's been pretty reasonable. Uh, over the last sort of, I like to take a, a, a five to six week snapshot. Six weeks ago, we played the Eagles. So I'll minus that, you know, because it's not really reflective necessarily. Well beaten in, in contested possessions, but otherwise they're, they're reasonable numbers. Clearances have been okay. Again, last week we were beaten, but otherwise there's no real issue there. It's sort of what we do outside of the clearance, you know, from winning the ball that that's sort of been an issue. And, and there are issues for Carlton and pretty significant ones on, on every line, it seems. Defensively, and when you say defensively, we're not talking so much about the back six in and of itself as a unit. We're talking about uh, the inability to actually get the ball off our opposition and defend territory when, you know, we don't have the ball. That's been really poor and teams have just largely been able to waltz through any defensive structures that we have. And then offensively, you know, we're winning clearances and, and we're having enough shots on goal, but the inside 50s have been horrendous and there's been a terrible connection between the sort of mids and forwards and the half forwards just aren't doing enough. We're winning enough of the ball and, and getting it inside 50 enough to kick a score, but from there it sort of falls apart and you look at the inaccuracy or the accuracy issues against Melbourne last week, six goals, eight behinds. Sydney the week before, six goals, 15 behinds. Collingwood the week before, seven goals, 15 behinds. So th- two out of those three games, you're still getting 20-plus shots on goal, which is mm. not a small number, but 19 goals, 38 behinds over three weeks is abysmal. Yeah, look, that, um, when you put it like that, it's 19-38. I didn't, I didn't understand that was that bad. Wow, okay, well, and, and, make- and that And that doesn't take into consideration, you know, the shots that don't make the distance or go out on the fall or, <laughs> yeah. or, or, the, or the, you know, go off yeah. the wrong yeah. side of the boot or they hit the wrong side of the ball, which yeah. there have been plenty of as well. It just looks like a team devoid of confidence more than anything. It's still like, you know, lost any sort of sense of what you guys did so well last year. And it, it sort of reminds me of us in 2022, to be honest. So we had this wonderful attacking game star under Rutten in 2021. And then coming into 2022, he had this really sophisticated defensive game plan that he wanted the players to do, they brought over from Richmond, and he just didn't have the cattle to do it. And got to a point where the players just didn't know what they were meant to be doing defensively, and they didn't know what they were meant to be doing attack in attack. And both phases just weren't working. And the things that made the team work well the year before were just lost because a the players didn't know what they were doing, but they were just sort of shot for confidence. It just looks like it. And I suppose, you know, we'll, we'll go to the goal kit. It just looks like your whole team is personified by Harry Mackay, which is you're immensely talented, but you're low on confidence and you're just not taking your opportunities. Is that too harsh on Harry? It, it's not. And the, the Harry discussion is really interesting because if you take out his goal kicking, 
I actually think he's having an incredible season. And I would actually argue it's been his best season at AFL level, despite winning the Coleman two years ago. He's wow. completely he's completely changed his role. He's moving up around the ball, around the ground a lot more. He's presenting for marks. And I, I think he's been terrific. I really do. But the, he's going through mental issues at the moment, clearly, that, that he just has to work through. And, and that I, I have confidence that he will. I don't have a confidence on any given moment, you know, any given shot that he's going to convert because obviously he's in a rush. But I think even the best go through those sorts of ruts, even the best goal kickers in any generation. And, and they tend to work through them um, over a period of time. So it's just if we can sort of hang in there whilst he's going through it, which we clearly haven't been able to. But I, I, I can't fault the effort. You know, he's turning up every week. He's, he's working as hard as ever. And I think he's been terrific. So I'm not I'm not that harsh on him other than, you know, he needs to just get over that mental barrier that's, that's in his way. Yeah. And I think forward of centre, Charlie Kernot had a good year in front of the sticks. I think he's 38 goals, equal lead in the Coleman. And Harry gets plenty of opportunities. It, it does, uh, and we'll get to how the games play. They, they have a bit of, we, we do the same thing with our key forwards in that we just sort of bomb it on the head. Now, we don't have two Coleman medal winning key forwards to bomb it on our heads too. So yeah. it's generally we're bombing onto the heads of Jai Menzi or, or Matt Guelphy, which never turns out too well for us. But it's interesting. I just wanted to get a snap, sort of a snapshot of Carlton because, like I said, they do remind us a lot of what happened. Remind me at least a lot of what we were in twenty twenty one to twenty two. You're sort of going twenty two to twenty three now, and we got bundled out first week of the final in twenty twenty one. And you guys, you know, by the barest of margins, didn't make it last year. Um, Don't remind. Yeah, but I just, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm. And I might be on an island here in terms of Essence supporters, but I just don't think you're playing that badly. I just think that what made you so good last year has been lost. Now, is it is it a game plan thing? Like a lot of pressure does appear to be on Michael Voss, which I think is somewhat unfair because a lot of what makes your team great in clearances is fantastic. But historically, premier teams that win the premiership score, I think, 70% of their points off to interception and turn, intercepts and turnover. So, you, you know, you can understand trying to create more of a defensive intercept game plan, but is it a, a structure thing? Is it a coaching thing? Or is it just you don't have the running players out there in your Zach Williams and your Jack Martins and Walsh is only back recently in order to, to get that run and gun intercept game going? I think it's a bit of a perfect storm. I think it's a bit of everything. A lot of people are very quick to, you know, point out, you know, point the finger at Michael Voss and, and it's understandable. I don't agree with it because Michael Voss doesn't kick the ball, right? Michael Voss doesn't handball to teammates, doesn't, you know, let opponents waltz through their weak tackling efforts. That's that's a solely player-driven thing. Yep. Uh, and that's where we've been lacking. Yes, the game style has changed. And I think that's the major frustration because the first half of last year, we were unbelievable. We were pulverizing teams in the middle. We were running. We were gunning. We had two, you know, behemoths in the forward line that, that were just on fire and everything was clicking. Now we're down on form. We've had some injuries, yes, but that's not an excuse this year. Teams have worked us out largely. We've mm. changed the style massively because we are more defensive. And it's all sort of culminated in what you're seeing in Carlton at the moment, which is not pretty at all to watch and incredibly 
you know, the, the different, like the complete opposite to the first half of last year and just a really ugly, ugly game style. We're, we're defensive, we're fumbly, we're uncertain. It's just, yeah, not pretty. Well, in fairness, yeah, it, it can be hard. Second year is always the hardest, I feel, with new coaches because, like you said, teams figure you out and that thing that worked the year before, you've got to change. Well, we'll, we'll move off Carlton's season because this isn't meant to be some voyeuristic or sadistic exercise for Essendon <laughs> supporters to just crap all over Carlton's season. I, I wanted to touch, get into a bit now, the Essendon versus Carlton rivalry because Essendon has a few rivalries. And everyone talks about Hawthorne. You know, North Melbourne like to think there are rivals, but not really. Carlton is a really strong one. And there's obviously been the classic games, you know, Carlton fans still, you know, talk about 1999 prelim. Um, and I'll probably be shot down just for just for mentioning that on the Essendon board, but you know, whatever. You've got the 99, you got the 93 grand final, you've got all throughout the 80s, even you know, some of the craziest games I can remember from the 2000s were against Carlton. I think of that game where we were up by, I think, eight or nine goals. Yeah, halfway through the second quarter and then Carlton came back. Favola kicked eight or nine or something that day. It's a it's a rivalry where the game never really goes to form. It like regardless of where teams are on the ladder, you know, something weird happens. It's it's you know, Carlton and Hawthorne, at least for Essence supporters and for me personally, are the two bigger rivalry games for the year for us. Yeah, this is this is a massive one on the AFL calendar, I feel. Carlton certainly it's a top two rivalry. I have it personally behind the Carlton Collingwood rivalry, but you know, it will differ depending on who you ask. Some people will say no Essendon's number one. I'm glad that you mentioned 99 and I didn't. Um, <laughs> so thank I jumped you in that. early because I knew you would. So I just thought I'll, I'll, I'll get it out preemptively, but then I'll mention 93 and it'll all be fine. You're, well, <laughs> I'm a little bit too young to remember 93 vividly, thankfully. <laughs> but you're right. This doesn't really tend to play to form. Generally, Carlton Collingwood doesn't either, although sort of this year it clearly did. It's going to be a big game. It always is against Essendon and, and it means a lot to both teams. Yes, rivalries aren't the same as they once were. And, and uh, the league is a lot more sanitized now than it sort of was in the 70s, 80s, even the 90s when it was at its peak as a rivalry. But it still means, I think, more to the players and certainly it means more to the supporters. So we'll still be there in, in our droves, screaming our, our heads off and booing our lungs out, I'm sure. But yeah, some great memories against Essendon and some not so great memories against Essendon. I, I have vivid memories of, of the lowlights of, of guys like, you know, Kyle Reimers, who just pop up out of nowhere. And <laughs> I'm guessing that might be the first time that Reimers has been uh, mentioned on the Essendon board podcast for the year. Oh uh... <laughs> uh, well, yeah, probably. It's probably the first time we've ever mentioned him flat stick. He he hasn't got a great rep, Mark Sessions, to pause go rims. Yeah, it's interesting because there's always these weird guys that pop up in Essendon versus Carlton matches. And, and uh, I mentioned before the game where Favola kicked eight, I think, in the second half to overcome um Feb used to have our number. We we never had a good matchup for Fev. But yeah. even just it, it just seems whenever a team is flying and the other one's in terrible form. The one that's in terrible form wins. And it's this weirdest, <laughs> it's this yeah. weirdest sort of, and I think there is just because there is such an edge about it. And, and both teams 
like whenever we play Carlton, there's always like an old boys thing. Last year it was a 150th um, for Essendon prior to Carlton. There's always an old boy thing. And it just, it, I think you mentioned it, it the, for the supporter base, it just dredges up this passion. And it's in a prime time slot this year. I think Essendon and Carlton want to make a fist of this King's birthday Eve thing. You know, I yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how it goes. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to the time slot. I think it's a a really good one. Carlton, uh, Carlton versus Essendon has have not really had that traditional rivalry time slot. Um, we've been shifted around to Saturday nights, Sunday afternoons, and whatnot. But if this can be a, a permanent fixture, it's it's great and frankly long overdue. Yeah, and I think you know we've talked about the historical context, but in terms of this game. This game is going to have some edge, I think, because Carlton, you know, I won't speak for Carlton, but um, it seems like there's a lot riding on this game. You know, you see a lot. I, I, what I think you're, what are you, you're four, seven, and one at this point. You win this, you got Gold Coast and Hawthorne, you beat those two guys, you're basically leveled up to seven, seven, and one. Finals is now the question. You go to four and eight into the bye. You know, the wheels are at risk of falling off, much like they did for us last year when we lost to you guys just before the bye. And for Essendon, you know, we win this, we're 8-5 going into the bye and then one of the easy draws to finish the year considering we've already played six of the top eight teams in the comp at the moment, plus Geelong. You know, this, this game has an edge to it. Both teams will want to win this and I can imagine Vossi for certain will be wanting to get you guys up considering everything, all the whispers sort of about his position off field. Absolutely, this it's a, it's a big game. I mean, it always is, but you're right; it does feel particularly big. Uh, I feel that Carlton needs a circuit breaker from from sort of this rut that they're in now. Traditionally, a Carlton circuit breaker is to sack the coach. <laughs> uh, it, it buys the board more time. It, it it allows a little bit of a reset. The fans say, "Okay, look." no expectations for the rest of the year and and we go again but that doesn't cut it for me this time i've had enough coach sackings to last a lifetime to be honest um it, it at some point they have to realize it's not all on the coach yes he's not infallible and yes he has a responsibility here but it's not all on him it can't be it can't always be the senior coach a win would be massive for carlton and it might who knows flick that switch that that has been you know flicked the wrong way so i am hopeful i'm not optimistic how on earth can i be you know having watched us perform or or, or not perform as the case may be over the last month in particular but it's not out of the question i've said or i said at the start of the year that there's only one team that i fear in this league and that's Carlton, because mentally we're just not there talent wise we are there we have a great amount of talent on this list but it's just not clicking and a lot of it is mental and the optimist in me says you know i think we can win pretty well every game maybe one that i just wouldn't tip us under any circumstances and that's brisbane in brisbane but anything else i'm going in with the mindset that i think we can win so of course i think we can win this i'm not going to tip us I tip with my head, generally not my heart. As a Carlton supporter, I've been conditioned to do that over the past 
20 odd years but it's a really really big game and as you're right Essendon are, are, are looking decent I mean I was at the Essendon game over the weekend and it certainly wasn't your best performance but you'd have to be happy by the first half of the year under uh, Brad Scott yeah and I think the, the pleasing thing is we've played a lot of the hard teams already and with the exception of maybe the Brisbane game we were blown out in the second half undermanned and maybe that first quarter against Geelong we've been relatively competitive so we beat Melbourne we should have beaten Collingwood up by five goals at three-quarter time. Lost by four, five to Port in Adelaide. St Kilda, who were flying at the time. So, you know, we've been pretty competitive, but we're a young team and there is always that doubt in my mind about how much of this is a sugar hit with a new coach. So it'll be interesting to see a lot of... Uh, and we'll move to the mechanics of the game here, so how it's going to be won and... The reason I'm I'm conscious it might be a sugar hit is, you know, when you look at the stat profiles of both teams, um, Essendon's profile hasn't really changed all that much from last year, except we're just more potent going inside 50 in terms of our efficiency in scoring. And, you know, we're able to repel, uh, well, I think we're sixth best in the, t- in the league for repelling inside 50s once they go in. But we can see the most amount of inside 50s of any team in the comp, which is a worry <laughs> when you've got a, a midfield like Carlton. I suppose I see this as a bit of oil and water. There's Essendon that's going to want to break this out into a free-flowing, uncontested mark game and try to play keep things off, knowing that that's how we've scored this year. And as you alluded to earlier, Carlton struggles to defend that. But conversely, I can see imagine I can see a world where Carlton turns this just into basically a game of English rugby and it's just this rolling contest and scrum where we just won't have the manpower to go with you in the middle. Like, h- how do you see this game panning out from a Carlton perspective? For, for Carlton, do you think to win, what does the game have to look like? They've got to convert their opportunities and it might be as simple as that because I'm confident we'll get the opportunities. As I said, we've had a good supply of inside 50s. We've largely had a good supply of scoring shots. So we've just not converted. I think down back for us, there are issues this year with partnership of Lewis Young and, and Jacob Wiedering. Young's down on form in particular. So I'm interested to see if Peter Wright plays because I think if it's just Sam Wiedemann, we'll be okay. I'm not a huge fan of Wiedemann and certainly I think Wiedemann can, can cover him. But if if there's both of them there, even un, underdone Young can cause issues. Carlton's just got to bring their, their one wood and that is win the ball at the contest and, and give our guys the greatest opportunity in the forward line, and that's Harry and Charlie in particular. It's also going to be interesting to see what what we do with the third tall forward position, because if you look at Carlton's forward line this year, it's really been Harry and Charlie and then nothing. And that just isn't conducive to a, a good forward line, a good team. And if you watched Carlton versus Melbourne last week, it really allowed Jake Lever to bring his intercept game, and that killed us. You know, Harry and Charlie, Charlie in particular, they're going to beat anyone one-on-one. There's no defender in the game, I think, that can stop them if they're on song. Sure. In a one-on-one sense. If our third tall forward, whoever it may be, and hopefully it's Silvani, it might be De Conning, I'm not sure yet. If our third tall forward doesn't make their man accountable, well, then we're just going to pop it into the, into the 50 and, and someone is going to pick it off with ease. We saw it with Darcy Moore. Two weeks ago, we saw it last week with Lever, as I said. It's a bit of a recurring theme. And I think that's the root of our issues in, in many yeah. respects. 
we're just too predictable. Yeah. But if we can draw yeah. someone away, then we can cause issues. So that's where I said the game won. Yeah, always the game is won in the contest. Um, I think Carlton, as I said in the last month, has been decent in the contest, more so than maybe a bit earlier in the year. Um, but they're the key indicators for me. Yeah, it's interesting because I imagine Jordan Ridley's the guy we're going to want to get off the chain to do that intercepting. He's been doing it all year, I think. And I might be biased, but I think he's been borderline All-Australian this year with Jordan Ridley. He's been it been patently unbelievable at different points. Like he had, a, I think, another eight intercept possessions against North Melbourne. He's had, he had that again against Richmond and against West Coast. So he'll be the guy that plays on your third tall and zones off. So I think you're right. It'll be your ability to hit targets and lower your eyes going inside 50 and causing Ridley to sort of have to honour his man. And I think for Essendon, the game that we want, that plays to our strengths is that uncontested mark game. So we do spread pretty well. We're, we're a smaller team, but we spread all right, particularly in offense and our kicking efficiency out of the back half is generally pretty okay. Um, we are a short team down back, so if we're giving up a little one-on-ones, particularly from 6-6-6 and it bounces. We could be in trouble, but we are a mobile unit back there. We're pretty switchable, so we're not going to be sort of stuck with, you know, our well, is Laverde going to get drawn to up far up the field going with Kerno or vice versa? They'll probably just play positionally. Whoever takes the deepest plays, takes the deepest. But yeah, I, I, it'll be really interesting because I think whoever wins this game will be because they've got the game on their terms. If Essendon can, can turn this into a free-flowing sort of run, handball spread, uncontested game, I don't think Carlton's got the wheels to go with us at the moment. But if the game can be congested... Um, I just don't think we've got the manpower to muscle up and go with you. And it could really be as simple as that, I think. And Essendon's contested ball winning and general clearance numbers, I think, are the worst in the comp. So, so um, yeah. that's not great. And we played against what was essentially a paediatric midfield on the weekend uh, with George Wardlaw and Will Phillips and and gave up a lot of clearances and a lot of contested possession. So if Cripps and Kennedy and Walsh get off the chain, we're in trouble. <laughs> so uh, that'll be an, an interesting way it works. In terms of changes, yeah, I think Peter Wright's a chance. He trained well today. So for people wondering, this is being recorded Wednesday night. Team's not announced, but Peter Wright tooted as possible. Maybe Jake Kelly comes in as well, uh, doing Shield Chance, but that's probably it for us. So are there any changes you can sort of foresee for Carlton before we wrap up? Uh, well, the only fresh injury news out of Carlton, as far as I know, and there's plenty of time for that to change, still, because Carlton's the key for, uh, well, uh, they're the very, very uh, handy with their Thursday injuries and Friday injuries before the game, is Silvani. He's under a bit of a cloud. He was subbed off at half time or, or close there too yep. on, uh, on on Friday night. I'd love to see a debutante in, in Jackson Bins, who's been knocking the door down at VFL level all year, and, and some supporters are frankly screaming for him to be rewarded. Paddy Dow, <laughs> who knows <laughs> what the hell is happening there. Um, I don't think he played too badly when he came on. Like he's he, he's the yeah. sort of guy that looks like he goes a thousand miles an hour, and you got to take the good and the bad. There are going to be some absolutely horrendous moments, and then there are going to be moments where it's like, oh, it actually looks alright. <laughs> he he really didn't play badly when he came on on Friday night, but we're kind of imbalanced in that midfield. Yeah, we've, we've got 
too much inside grunt and not enough outside potency, if you will. And he doesn't help that because he is inside and, and he really struggles outside of the contest. Look, nothing would surprise me from Carlton. David Cunningham's back from injury. I think the last game he played was against Essendon where he killed you at the G a couple <laughs> of years back. Jack Martin was back in it. I think it's too soon for him. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Ed Kerno came back in. He's played more often than not at senior level this year. Vossi loves what he brings. I don't know why at this stage, to be honest. But, you know, Merritt is there as an ominous threat. And Kerno has a history, albeit not necessarily a recent one, of, of being able to shut down opposition midfielders. So he might be one that we turn to. Yeah, it's probably out of, out of those couple to replace Silvani if he doesn't play. And the other one is Pitnet if he's fit. Um, yeah. Because we might choose to put Pitnet in the ruck and then Tom DeConning as the third forward, third tall up forward, who can then chop out in the ruck if and when need be. So oh, I suppose that will be uh, what we find out tomorrow. Well, um, we always like to wrap up with uh, a quick tip. So who do you think will win margin in a bold prediction? So uh, for us, bold predictions are a little bit of fun, um, but uh, maybe a a tinge of reality. So uh, I'll I'll give you the new ball. Uh, What's your tip margin in bold prediction for this week, Jeremiah? I can't possibly tip Carlton, given what I've seen over the last month, month and a half. I am tipping Essendon by two goals. And my bold prediction is that Harry Mackay will kick straight. (laughs) <laughs> he did on the weekend, well, didn't he? 3-2 three, 3-2 two and at least one that didn't make the distance or went out on the full okay, so... So 50% yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, okay. I think he'll kick I think he'll kick uh, a little bit straighter again well, that would suck for us the week it happened against us but that's alright um, I'm actually tipping Carlton um, I think uh, that Carlton's going to come up there, there are two things you can't fake in footy, one's fitness, two is desperation. And I think Carlton will be more desperate than we are at this point just because of the reality of the two teams are. So you can probably afford to drop this without too much pressure, whereas Carlton you know, really do want this. And so I think that's probably going to be the difference. I think it'll be Carlton by 15 points. And I think Mackay and Kerno will kick 10 between them. Um, <laughs> so I think it's going to be one of those games where it's about 90 to, to 75 and Carlton Mackay will, will kick the lion's share of the goals. Well, that just about wraps us up for this week. Jeremiah, thanks for being such a great guest and jumping on. It's been a pleasure having you. No worries at all. Thanks for, uh, thanks for inviting me. It's been great. No worries. Well, that's, uh, the bomber cast for this week done and dusted. Uh, make sure you, you like, and subscribe, tell all your essence supporting mates. And of course, as always go bombers.